0: friends, and welcome to the ANOC podcast on Around the Rings. I'm your host, Brian Pinelli. The ANOC podcast on ATR is a monthly feature in partnership with the Association of National Olympic Committees, showcasing the work and inspiration of the world's 206 NOCs. It is four more years for Olympic Federation of Ireland President Sarah Keane Last week on December 8th, Keene was reelected, running unopposed and will serve a second four-year term at the helm of the OFI. Moving forward, Keene will preside over an executive committee that in an historic first has achieved full gender equality following the recent virtual election, six male and six female members. Keene continues her leadership in the midst of the Irish NOC's 2018 to 2028 strategic plan amid turbulent times facing all NOCs 10 months into our global health crisis. But there is hope for a little luck of the Irish along the winding and unpredictable journey to Tokyo 2020. And joining me today on the ANOC podcast from her home in Dublin is the Olympic Federation of Ireland president also the former CEO of Swim Ireland, an attorney with a master's degree in commercial law, and perhaps evidence of her tenacity most of all, a former athlete on the Irish water polo team, Sarah Keen. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to the ANOC podcast.
1: Hello, Brian. Del- Delighted to be here today. Thank you for that lovely warm welcome. Welcome. <laughs> trying
0: to uh, get into the spirit of the, of the luck of the Irish. And Sarah, of course, I'm uh, excited to talk about your days uh, playing water polo and your accomplishments there. But I think first off, it's probably appropriate to congratulate you on, on winning a second term. Uh, perhaps not a big surprise, but I assume exciting nevertheless.
1: Yes, I think you're always honored and privileged to be elected into an office such as the president of a National Olympic Committee. And it's not something that I would be complacent about or have any expectation about either. Um, and I think it's right that we put ourselves up to be judged on the work that we've done over the previous years. So it, so I, I did feel very honoured and privileged to be a, uh, elected. Um, I suppose I do think it's good when you do have several candidates going forward for election. Um, in this case, I was unopposed, but the uh, for my first term, there were several candidates that I went up against for election. And uh, this actually now will be my last term as president because the Olympic Federation of Ireland has term limits in place. So I was involved, obviously, um, as an ordinary executive committee member for a period of time and then elected as the president um, for my first term and now, now into my second term. I'm also excited because we're in the middle of our 2018 to 2024 strategic plan as you've referenced Um, and whilst it's it's you know been a challenging time for for Olympic sport and for for the world in general I do think that there's um you know there's opportunities and other things that have come about as well and obviously with the with the postponed games taking place next year there's a lot of exciting times ahead for us all so I'm very glad to be um I probably maybe to be the first, if if only, president who's going to be in 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 position in an NOC in Ireland, and which would be the same for for most presidents in NOCs around the world at a time when we're going to have three Olympic games between two summer and one winter in 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 one period, one one cycle.
0: Absolutely, and uh, best of luck, of course, uh, with with your second term, Sarah. Let, let's go back to the important outcome at the recent 49th EOC General Assembly. Uh, you're the chairperson of the Gender Equality Commission and made a recommendation uh, for an amendment to introduce 30 percent gender balance on the executive committee, uh, also uh, supported and backed by the IOC. Well, 43 of 50 NOCs voted in favor with, uh, you know, the, the new gender equality uh, beginning with the 2021 uh, elections what, what, what's the significance of, of this vote and this amendment to the EOC Constitution
1: I would feel that it's that it's actually very significant I think we're one of the first um, continents to at Olympic level to do this and I think the Europe would like to, to see itself as leading in this field um, and obviously to support the work of the IOC and ANOC and others in this field. Um, it's, a, it's a big area, gender equality, and uh, it covers many different areas, such as, you know, obviously coaching and leadership and participation and portrayal. And from that perspective, it can sometimes be quite overwhelming. And one wonders if you're making uh, progress. And it has been clear that a lot of progress has been made over the last couple of years, particularly in relation to the participation piece. Um, however, I suppose it's felt that the the progress in relation to the areas of, of leadership, um, coaching, um officiating etc probably haven't moved at the same pace so one of the things we felt might help move the leadership piece along was um around the elections onto 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 the governing board so to speak of of europe and then obviously within the nocs as well and they only come around every couple of years so one of the reasons for putting forward this um this motion was to raise awareness of the fact that we're at a time for elections, both um, at uh, you know at the continents level, but also at national Olympic Committee level, and to get people considering and thinking about this issue and looking at if if you know female candidates putting themselves forward, being supported to do so, and getting an opportunity then to be elected, because one of the challenges that we have faced is we haven't had enough female candidates going forward, and one of the things I've seen is that when you do introduce um these kind of provisions that you know there's a requirement so to speak of a certain amount of both genders to be involved you actually then get more um people from both genders and in this case it's it's mainly the female gender we're talking about because they're the ones that are less represented in terms of the leadership piece they you end up having more candidates going forward so it's still people are still uh you know looking for for Good candidates, top candidates, people who um, are there on their merit. But you do tend to, to see a result in more people cutting, putting themselves forward and being supported to do so, which then we, you know, ends up in having more diversity of thinking and of being in terms of how we make our decisions across the, the, the continents and across the National Olympic Committees. So, the fact that that you know this was, uh, you know, got such a resounding support from the European National Olympic Committees was amazing because you're never really sure. Um, as to as you know we haven't put it forward in this kind of forum before to see if there was this level of support we had um the support obviously of the IOC and of ANOC, and we also had the support of the European um, Olympic Committee's executive board they endorsed the motion as well so that was really helpful for us going into this at the last year's General Assembly of the EOC there was a discussion about gender um equality and that there was an endorsement of a strategy and some form of change to the articles but what that was wasn't defined so I think what's good about this now is people can see a clear outcome a clear action and now we're now we're discussing what this may look like in terms of how we run the general assembly how the EOC will run the general assembly that's taking place in April of 2021 to manage this mechanism so look it's very 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 exciting and particularly that we've had so much engagement and support from the European NOCs and as part of this work that I'm doing with um, ANOC and the IOC we actually wrote to the 50 um, European NOCs and asked them um, about what they were doing in their own equality, gender equality journeys, as well as obviously giving them information around the IOC surveys and all that sort of stuff. And we've received a huge amount of responses and a lot of it is really positive. So again, now we're going to be in a position to really share information with each other and support each other and also perhaps challenge each other, make each other a bit more accountable for our results in these areas.
0: Well done, Sarah. Con- congratulations on, on that as well. And As you allude to the individual NOCs on the home front, the Irish NOC is is leading by example. Your recent uh, virtual election there last week, uh, I I know that you had decreed 40% female uh, gender equity, and then all of a sudden uh, 50% was achieved at the election uh, there last week, week, full gender balance uh six male and six female representatives on your a- executive board what well, what do you think the impact and you know the cat- you guys being a catalyst for other euro and uh, european nocs to kind of follow suit
1: well first of all i would just say that this is always very much a team effort um you know, so anything that's happening at, at European or IOC or NOC level, I mean, I'm just a member of a team that are all behind these initiatives. Um, from our perspective, we did this in a two-stage process. This is the, the OFI. So we put forward um, at our AGM earlier this year to our membership that we would bring in this 40% of either gender onto our board. And that was unanimously passed. Which was obviously amazing from our perspective um we have been working hard um with in our in irish sport again to to increase um the gender levels across all areas and again we're, we're having a lot of success in in, in a lot of areas but we, you know we really need to move the dial on others and the leadership area was again one but i i, I feel that the what happened at the um actual um elections and the the general assembly uh, last week uh was just amazing because what you saw was exactly what maybe we were hoping for is you got more people, more female candidates who put themselves forward than we've ever had before. And then they were elected um, and there was more elected than needed to be elected. So again, they were very much elected on their own merits and and were, you know people appreciated um, them for what they could offer to the diversity um, and also obviously to ensuring that the Olympic Federation of Ireland represents Team Ireland um, to, you know, to the very much of our uh, very best of abilities and the very best of abilities that are available to us. So for me, it was... Um, Look, for me, what was important about it was it was democratic. It was voted in and um, and there was a real strong um, recognition of the of of the good candidates available uh, across both genders. And there was a re- there was a lot of support afterwards for what's been achieved. A lot of people were very satisfied with the fact that both genders were represented. And, and this was not just at um, NOC level. We also had this across Ireland. So we, you know, we would have received um, congratulations from our ministers of sport. Um, and others within the wider Irish society. So it goes back to sort of the IOC and ANOC goals as well at at impacting on, on, you know, on Irish and world society. You know, the fact that sport can have a wider impact on society. And I think that's important for those of us involved in the Olympic movement. It's obviously actual participation in the sport itself. And, you know, the achievements of people is huge, but, you know, we all want to feel that we're impacting on people's lives and society as well, where we can. And so for me, this piece... Um, you know, seeing that it's had that wider sort of um, recognition outside of sports and outside of the Olympic movement in Ireland has been very well received.
0: Yeah, we really have seen such an amazing wave of improvement and, you know, not not just in the Olympic movement, as you talk about, but in, uh, you know, corporations and in, you know, public office. So obviously, uh, you know, thing, things heading in a very positive direction. As as president of a National Olympic Committee, the the first, uh, the first female as, as president of, of OFI, uh, what further steps can be taken? Is there st- still more room for improvement? And uh, what, what can still be gained moving forward? Is, is, it, is it still a big challenge or, you know, feeling pretty satisfied with, with where we're at right now?
1: Well, I think it's still a big challenge, but I also think we have to recognize when we do make progress. Um, and because, you know, changing something cultural takes time. And so it's important to recognize the efforts of people along the way and also the efforts of people to do things differently and, and re- recognize a different way of doing things. So from my perspective, I think we should um, celebrate when we think th- things are moving forward positively. We should also recognize if other people have uh, you know, found the change difficult uh, and then try and ensure that we bring them along the journey with us. Um, but there is still a huge amount of challenges Um you can see that, particularly in the areas of coaching, officiating, and um, the numbers of females uh, um, at those levels, particularly at the performance levels, attendance at Olympic Games, for example, are low. And um, participation is done particularly well. And the leadership piece is, is still low, um, not within the IOC in terms of the work they've done, but certainly within um, the continents and within um, the NOCs. But uh, but uh, but we are moving forward, and the fact that it has been something that's been supported across the whole of the IOC, as I said, in ANOC and others, and the message has been consistent. I think that makes a difference, but what we're trying to do now is we're trying to to help people be empowered in the area, so showing them the way you can do things, sharing information across the NOCs that's working and across, obviously, the the international federations as well, and bringing international federations, national federations, um, continental uh, Olympic committees and national Olympic committees all into the same conversation around it, because ultimately, in order to make those changes in sport... Uh, we all need to be part of a part of the discussion and part of the journey. So I, I think we're on our way, but we still have a, a long way to go. But I, I do reiterate again, it's um it's important to recognize that you know some that we have been making it, you know, uh, some progress. And I think this I think the last couple of months the progress has been particularly significant. And the IOC are currently um involved, and obviously um Enoch and um the rest of the movement is supporting this as well and looking at the the gender equality achieve, uh, objectives for 2021 to 2024 cycle, and the learnings out of the last one. So it's an exciting time to see that we are making some progress, and hopefully, it's it's uh, also, you know, making other people feel that they can make the progress in in some areas, maybe or some nations, maybe where it's a bit more challenging.
0: Our guest today here on the ANOC podcast, Olympic Federation of Ireland president Sarah Keen, and uh, Sarah on our. Last ANOC podcast, we spoke to the acting president of, of ANOC, Mr. Robin Mitchell. And, and Robin kind of, you know, outlined and dissected all the different challenges and difficulties and situations affecting the, the 206 NOCs, obviously varying, you know, sizes, uh, financial capacities, a uh, number of athletes uh, what has it been like for you and, and, and Team Ireland as everybody navigates this difficult pandemic, obviously with the postponement of the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games? Uh, how, how have you assisted and, and helped your athletes, whether it's, uh, you know, financially, morally, uh, personally? Um, how have things been for you on the home front?
1: Well, I suppose, first of all, just to reference the gender stuff again, I think what's important about that is that there has been some positive things like that happening. And we've moved on certain um, agenda items, even though we've been ch- very challenged on a lot of fronts. So I think that's been very positive across the movement. And I think our athletes see that as well. But from our perspective, um, well, we've just been inspired by, by our Olympic athletes or in our potential Olympic athletes. Um, and they have very much led the way here in Ireland across um, across society as a whole in terms of supporting. So, you know, I think the tough time for them was obviously um, when decisions were being made about what was going to happen with the Olympic Games. And I, and I commend those who were involved in those decisions and leading those decisions because I think they were made as promptly, uh, very promptly considering all the, 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 you know, the complexities of the situation. And I think once the athletes were aware of the postponement of the Games, um, well, then we all worked very much together then to sort of get the show back on the road again, so to speak. So for, obviously for us, um, and I'm sure the same for many other nations was was getting our athletes back into the onto the sports pitch or into the water uh, into the water or where, you know wherever their natural habitat was because you know a lot of a lot of the world went into lockdown um, once the pandemic first hit so getting them back into the natural habitat was very important so a lot of work would have been done with government um, and you know the statutory bodies for sports Sport Ireland in our case so the fact that we would have had um, strong relationships there and you know a recognition that we're all part of ultimately Team Ireland. That that was very helpful to us in order to get get our our elite athletes supported and back, even at a time when a lot of the rest of the country was was locked down. So our athletes very much appreciated that. And they did their piece then to support um, Ireland as a whole. So, you know, when a lot of other younger athletes or others who are not at at the performance level that our elite athletes would be at, when they were then back in their sport but others weren't they still did everything they could to support by you know by getting involved in sort of online webinars and offering sort of um, you know coaching or strength and conditioning kind of uh, fitness routines and all of this sort of stuff to other athletes and younger athletes and you know talking about the uh, you know adversity talking about what they were dealing with and giving tips and motivation all that sort of stuff to young young athletes so they did that both during (coughs) excuse me lockdown and also when we were not so That made a big difference, I think, um, as well here because we had we had Irish athletes showing that, um, you know, for them it was it was also about giving back and doing what they could to support the wider um, wider Irish society. So we were really inspired by them in terms of the other thing we did apart from, as I said, obviously working very much to um, to get you know some sort of decisiveness for them around getting back into their sport. We also ensured that their funding was continued, um, even though obviously they weren't in a situation to compete. And I think that gave them some sort of stability and that was agreed with Sport Ireland all the way through until after the Games next year. So I think that obviously does help athletes in terms of giving them that sort of stability. Um, we, we did a huge amount of communications so that they were, you know, we did everything we could to ensure that they knew what was happening. And the same with performance directors and our national federations. We also took other opportunities. Our sponsors have been incredibly supportive and one of them um, indeed had they, they're um, they're involved in recruitment and and coaching and that so they they held career coaching workshops for our athletes so this would be looking at maybe the different skills and the different opportunities that might be out, available to them outside their sport or perhaps when they when they finish their careers and this was an opportunity to look at that sort of stuff because some of them had a bit more time on their hands when they weren't fully training um you know obviously with with, with certain times during the pandemic and this year so you know a lot of it was really um Ensuring we offered supports in terms of obviously then the, their, their mental health and well-being and the challenges that obviously, um, you know, the changes that that would have, um, that might have brought for some of them and, and recognising that and, and, and providing support to them around that. So, you know, really, I think for us, it was again, the main piece was recognising that there might be challenges for people in terms of the changes that have come about and working very much closely together across the whole sector just to, to support our athletes and and our you know our coaches and everybody who was expecting to be at an Olympic Games in 2020. Uh, but again, I have to say I was incredibly inspired by Irish athletes and what they did and what they put in and the resilience they showed and the character they they demonstrated, which again goes back to the power of sport and one of the reasons we're all involved in it. And it goes back ultimately to it not being al- always about the performance, being ultimately about the journey, which if we're really you know serious about being sort of go back to the fundamentals mm-hmm. of the movement. I think they were demonstrated during this pandemic in a huge way.
0: Nice to hear that, Sarah, absolutely. Uh, in, in terms of, of sponsorships and also finances, obviously uh, you know, one of the challenges for, for, for many NOCs, kind of weathering the storm until Tokyo 2020. Uh, one of your primary sponsors, uh, FBD Insurance, uh, uh, very important sponsor for, for Team Ireland and some exciting news this past week. With the announcement of your cooperation with FBD Insurance, and uh, if I understand correctly, the Make a Difference program to assist athletes—a uh, grant of, of, of fifty thousand euros, so quite sizable. What, uh, what, what can you tell us about this program, please? Uh, please elaborate on uh, what you hope to accomplish.
1: Well, first of all, I, I just would like to say that. Um, you know, FBD insurance, which are the only indigenous Irish insurance company at the moment um, in, in Ireland in the market here, um, have been incredibly supportive throughout this, and despite whatever challenges they may have faced, have ensured that they continue to support um, Team Ireland, as indeed have have our other sponsors. Um, and obviously, we 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 have uh, what we call a discretionary fund outside of this fifty thousand euro, which we've been distributing funds to national federations to support them. Um, and there's been almost six hundred thousand of support issued since 2018, and um, FBD's support to us has enabled us to continue that as well. So this is an additional piece that they have put into um, the system, which is incredible in the times that we're in, this Make, it, make a Difference um, programme and project. And what's interesting about it, it's recognising that there are those who are maybe not on the same level of funding or haven't reached the same level of performance yet, but who could still make the Olympic Games and make the team, but recognising that they may, may need that just extra little bit of fu- financial support um, be that to bring sparring partners here in the, in, the, in the likes of the Taekwondo's or the Judo or be that for themselves to, to avail of relevant opportunities to get them fit for purpose or ready to, to, to really try and make the games. So it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that's reaching a cohort maybe that um, wouldn't normally be reached in the same way. Um, so from our perspective, it's, you know, it's really, really great to have that. And it's also coming at a time when it's going to give people a lift with now another you know, uh, six to nine months uh, to the games and obviously coming up to hopefully some qualification opportunities in 2021 as, um, you know, as, as we all hope that we can uh, see how we go forward now in terms of getting people to, you know, qualifying to for the games. So look, we're very, very grateful to them mm-hmm. and we're, you know, we're delighted to be um, to be able to roll that out. I mean, the other program we have, which FBD also support is the um, dare to believe program, which goes back again to our athletes um, who are, you know, who are playing an ambassadorial role um, in society, and these these athletes um, go out to, or or some of them are, you know, retired athletes at this point. Most of them go go out to schools around the country um, and talk about their journey, and they talk about the Olympic values um, and how they're living them, and what they've got out of them, and how they've helped them in their lives. And then this obviously helps, hopefully, to inspire our younger our younger cohort and our you know our young people around the country. And obviously, we all need to be inspired at the, at the year that we've had. So. Look, the the support we've got from FBD and other sponsors has just been incredible in the year that's in it. And again, it goes back to this whole piece of everybody pulling together the resilience shown across um, Olympic sport in Ireland and Olympic sport around the world.
0: Absolutely, Sarah, all the best to to your athletes to keep them uh, in in good spirits and obviously financially supported adequately in the lead up to Tokyo and beyond. Uh, Sarah, you're you're an athlete yourself. As, as I mentioned, a member of the the former uh, former member of the Irish water polo team. i I, I want to challenge you a little bit because I am always so impressed by water polo, the tenacity, the speed, the the physicality above and under the water. can Can you share uh, any experiences about your days uh, uh, on that team? and and secondly, if if I can challenge you, would you say, that water polo arguably is the most toughest of the Olympic sports out there.
1: <laughs> well, maybe I might firstly say that um, I actually uh, swam for Ireland, but not at the highest level all the time and um, before I played water polo. Ireland is not uh, a particularly um, force in water polo around the world by any means. So, you know, so we we, we operate at a certain level here and um, and I actually swim a lot in the open water as well. So for me, I'm kind of across all the disciplines. But I absolutely uh, love seeing water polo played at the highest levels. I think it is incredibly physically demanding. And I think it's, um, you know, it isn't a sport for for everyone, but certainly one that I enjoyed incredibly. I would have liked to have been involved in it at a younger age, um, which, you know, it's very much a a sport that's developing in in Ireland. um, And we're, you know, it's it's inspiring to see how the kind of high levels coming out of Europe. Europe is particularly strong in water polo around the world. Um, But it's a very exciting sport to watch, but it is... uh, you know, I think it's one certainly for the younger is one I'd be f- feeling at this stage in my life. But uh, I certainly look forward to seeing it next year. And, and um, you know, for me, I'm probably doing more of swimming and open water at this point. Um, at the moment in Ireland, even though we're in our winter, um, probably some of this is due to COVID. We have more people dipping and getting into the sea at this moment in time than we've ever had in our history. Um, which is particularly uh, uh, something, again, one of the positives that we're seeing coming out of COVID, we're seeing people in, in, in get themselves involved in, in, in different things. And in, in Ireland, one of the things they've got involved in is, is open water dipping or swimming. And we've even had open wa- uh, water polo goals being put into the sea and into the open water because when people haven't been able to, to train <laughs> or do it indoors, they've decided they're going to do it outdoors. And this is in pretty cold water. So, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting, interesting times.
0: It, it sounds cold, but uh, I guess when you dip into that water, it's uh, mind over matter, I, I, I guess, I guess. Very impressive. Sarah, Sarah, last question. Just want to delve to winter sports. And I know uh, Ireland, you know, not a traditional uh, winter sports country. In the summer games, you have 34 medals, nine gold, 11 silver, 14 bronze, 16 in boxing, having competed in every summer game since 1994. Well, Ireland made its Winter Games debut in, in 1992. Uh, at the Salt Lake 2002 uh, Winter Olympics, I was fortunate to be at the skeleton gold medal final where an Irish athlete, an Irish slider, Clifton Rotesley, just missed winning out on the medals as uh, American Jimmy Shea won gold, dedicating uh, his victory to his father. And it was a very emotional moment. Clifton was actually the first to, to hug Jimmy Shea. And, you know, just, just missing out on that medal. What, what, what is being done to, you know, hopefully uh, improve Irish winter sport? I know you have a, a a skeleton slider named Brendan Doyle who was training in Park City and some other up-and-coming Irish athletes. Can we see uh, Ireland someday becoming a force on the winter sports scene?
1: Well, I think 2016, uh, 2018, Saring Pyeongchang was in some ways a, a breakthrough for us because it was the first time that our national broadcaster actually showed the Winter Olympics here. Um, and it obviously showed the, the five Irish athletes that were competing, but it also showed generally the width, the width and breadth of the Winter Olympics. And they ha- it ended up being actually very high viewership in Ireland of the Winter Olympics. So it was a real kind of, I think, turning point in terms of our winter athletes were becoming household names in Ireland. Um, I mean, our highest results would have been in the top 20, so that was good. But, um, you know, it wasn't really about the sort of medals and almost, you know, the results. It was actually about the fact that people started to get to know these individuals. They started to get to understand their sports. They, they were really taken with the kind of excitement of them and, and um, the different types of sports, the adrenaline rush. And I suppose almost for some, the kind of sheer breathtaking, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of stepping back, looking at what these athletes were doing. And for me personally, being at, at my first Winter Olympics, I... I I almost saw in some ways a different attitude by some of the athletes in some ways they just even though obviously they're incredibly competitive and wanting to ensure that they they do very well at the highest levels they also just seem to absolutely love what they do and obviously doing it and getting down run safely and all that sort of stuff everything's almost celebrated which i think is a slight difference between perhaps the winter and the summer games but it was an incredible experience so Going back to it, for us, it was amazing to see that so much, so so much of the country, so much of the nation, got behind the winter, our winter Olympians, and I think that's something we want to build in, build on, and we also now have um, much. I suppose we have a much closer relationship ourselves with our with our winter federations, and we're at the moment um, developing our 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 strategy for the winter. Um, Olympic sports.
0: Sure.
1: Um, and we've already appointed our chef de mission for Beijing. So from our perspective, you know we think this this could be a, a, a new era really um, in Ireland for winter sports. We're also talking to sport Ireland in terms of the the national sports campus and what the chances are of building a rink there and you know sort of getting ourselves more facilities in terms yep. of winter sports because we don't have those naturally here. <laughs> um, which just means that a lot of our athletes have to train abroad. Um, exactly. Yeah, so it's an incredibly exciting time for us in terms of winter sports. And we're very grateful for all the support we've got for winter scholarships from the IOC yeah. as well. And, um, and generally the stability of funding from both the IOC and Enoch, um, and going forward for the next couple of years and getting that, uh, getting that stability at a time when we're, we're in a world of uncertainty sure. uh, and has also been incredibly important to us as an NOC.
0: All right, Sarah. Hey, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today on the Enoch podcast. All the best uh, in your second term and all the best to Team Ireland.
1: Thank you very much. Delighted to be here today. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Sarah. We'll be back next month with another episode of the Enoch podcast, once again, showcasing the work and inspiration of the world's 206 NOCs. I'm Brian Pinelli. Thanks for listening today, and remember, for more than 25 years, Around the Rings, your best source of news and information about the Olympic and Paralympic movements. Be safe, and we'll see you next time.